Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. We continue on our journey into God's promises. I pray that it has been a blessing to you as we have gone from point to point, stop to stop. Of course, we couldn't do every single thing. We would be there for the rest of our lives. But we've chosen uh, uh, highlights, significant points in that journey. And today, we arrive at one of the most significant things that happened on that journey. Um, If you turn in your Bibles to Exodus, the 32nd chapter, Exodus, the 32nd chapter, um, it's the story of the golden calf. Now, I'm going to read the entire chapter, and the reason I'm going to read that is just for context, Uh, as we, uh, we go through certain things that are highlighted in this story that really are significant uh, in terms of the principles of life that we can learn from them. But just before I read, read the, the, the scriptures, let's ask for God's blessing upon the reading of his scriptures, the sharing of his scriptures, and the hearing of his scriptures. Father, we just thank you for your word. The entrance of your word brings light. It illuminates, O God. The entrance of your word, Father, destroys yokes, causes burdens to lift. We are asking that this and more will happen. May your word energize us today. Sweet Holy Spirit, come and reveal more of the Son and the Father through the word. We give you all the praise, Father. We pray in your name, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and in the name of your Spirit. Amen and amen. Exodus, the 32nd chapter. I want to read the entire chapter because I want you to really get into this story. I pray the Spirit of God will paint vivid pictures in your mind. In a sense, I would love to transport you from wherever you are uh, back uh, to where this happened uh, and get you to see this in your mind's eye. Exodus 32, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made 
a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with, with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he had said he would do to his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On, on the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder. And he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said, said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people they, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. 
And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from, the, from entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a god of gold. Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go, lead the people to the place which, of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Long chapter, 35 verses, but I wanted to set context for uh, what we will be talking about over the next few weeks as part of our stop on this journey. There are so many life lessons to be learned from that scripture. Moses had gone up to be with the Lord. He went on behalf of the children of Israel, went to spend 40 days with the Lord. And whilst he was gone, impatience set in. The children of Israel couldn't wait any longer for Moses to come back and Moses to bring word from God. And they also were carnal in that they, this God that they didn't see, they wanted some sort of God that they could see. And so in haste, they moved ahead and they went to Aaron, who was a very weak leader, as we will find out, and, and put pressure on him to give them a God. Aram succumbed to popular opinion uh, and created, molded a god. The Bible calls it a golden calf, but historically it was more a bull. Um, and the psalmist, when he talks about this bull with horns, uh, we realize that it was a bull. And it was a bull uh, because that was symbolic of strength. Uh, and so this for them was the god that brought them out of Egypt. They worshiped the god. And the worship wasn't just sacrificing to it. When the Bible says they rose up to play, um, then it's reference to sexual immorality uh, that was part of the worship of this bull. And so as they did that, uh, God from, from heaven saw what they did. His anger rose against the sin. Um, he sends Moses down, declares to Moses, these are your people, um, because he's is really uh, so angry with them. Moses comes down, can't believe what he's hearing. Um, Joshua, being a man of war, when he heard the sounds, he thought it was the sound of battle. But Moses says, no, that's not battle, that's singing, that's people who are involved in, in immorality. 
uh, when he sees the sight, he is so angry, he smashes the tablets of stone. Um, God's anger is about to pour out on the people. Uh, he petitions God on behalf of the people. God relents, but then there's a cost because 3,000 people are killed um, as Moses instructs the sons of Levi to literally cleanse the camp of the sin. Uh, and, 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 and that's really, in a nutshell, the story. But there are many things we can learn from this. Uh, what do I want us to focus on today? Uh, and I would love you to take notes about what I'm about to share with you. I want us to focus on what I have called a failure in leadership. A failure in leadership. And the reason this is so important is because the world today faces a leadership problem. There is a lack of credible leadership in almost every sphere, in literally every country. Uh, the, the problem of the world today is frankly at its root a leadership problem. There is simply no quality leadership. No quality leadership in homes, no quality leadership in the institutions, no quality leadership in organizations, no quality leadership in communities. There is just a lack of quality leadership. And I believe we can learn so much from the failure in leadership that is recorded. Because you see, uh, Aaron was given a leadership mantle by Moses, um, an opportunity to step into Moses' shoes in a sense. And it's no wonder when you look at the failings of Aaron, it's no wonder that God overlooked him and eventually chose Joshua as Moses' successor. If you understand um, the biblical story or narrative up till now, um, Aaron was the one you would probably think would take over from Moses. But obviously, God must have seen, and this, this will point that out to us clearly, that Aaron lacked leadership virtue. He lacked the graces of leadership. Um, he was hollow. Uh, he failed as a leader. And if he was given the mantle of leadership, he would have failed the children of Israel. And I, because we all are leaders in one way or another, it is important that the lessons I'm about to share with you, that we take those lessons into our hearts and we apply them. We are desperate for leaders. Amongst young people, desperate for leaders. In the homes, desperate for leaders. Both husband and wife serving in their various leadership capacities. We are desperate for parents that will grow leaders in their children. The church is desperate for leadership. The political sphere is desperate for credible leadership. In every sphere, nations are crumbling because of a lack of leadership. And at no, certainly in my lifetime, at no point has it become more necessary than in a practical sense to have leaders than at this point in time. But some definitions, just so we understand what we're talking about. What is leadership, really? Well, firstly, it is influence. I think John Maxwell made us understand that, um, that leadership is influence. It's the ability of one person to influence others to follow his or her lead. 
And so when you, when you understand that, you know that then we all are leaders in one sphere. Of course, some people's influence is much larger, has a wider reach, but every single one of us has the capacity and we are positioned by God to influence one person, two people, three people, four people. So every single one of us is a leader. I like what Bernard Montgomery says about leadership. Leadership is the capacity and will to rally men and women to a common purpose and the character which inspires confidence. Now, in the story that we re read, the leadership baton was handed over to Aaron. Here was an opportunity for Aaron to step into that role, to prepare himself to be the successor to Moses, but he failed abysmally. And we want to find out what, how he failed, what made him fail, because we don't want to make those mistakes. Now, there are many things I could share with you, but let me share seven things, and please prepare um, to take this down. This is a teaching that I pray will, will really ch change your life. Number one, there was a failure in character. And what is character? Character is the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. In a sense, character is the essence of a person. And you know, trials, challenges, adversities, difficulties reveal character. It is possible for character to remain hidden because there hasn't come any pressure. But then the moment we are faced with trials, difficulties, challenging circumstances, adversity, character is revealed. In the same vein, on, on the other side, character is also revealed by successes. You know, when things are going very well, there's a success. Then you know the character of the people because their character will show uh, uh, when they handle success. You know, people have said uh, money does not have character. Uh, the character of a person is revealed uh, when the person has the money. A 20-pound note is, has no character it, 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 of, of, of its own. But then in the hands of someone who's never had it before, the person's true character is revealed. There's a saying that says, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, everything is lost. The challenge with Aaron was that his character was revealed by the circumstances. Moses has gone up to the mountain. He's in charge. Pressure comes on him. God himself called the children of Israel a stiff-necked people. That means they were difficult human beings. And you know their story. They were quick to rebel. They were obstinate. They were, they were, they were difficult to manage. They were constantly complaining, constantly murmuring. I, I can imagine that leading such a people would have been a challenge. And when the people turned on him, it was revealed that Aaron did not have the character for a leader and certainly the character to lead, lead people and definitely not difficult people like this. So the first thing was a failure in character. How do we build character? 
Well, character is built primarily by the Word of God. The combination of the Word and the Spirit helps build godly character. That's why the Bible says in Joshua 1 verse 8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The psalmist says in Psalms 119 verse 11, um, it talks about your word being hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Passion Translation says, I consider your prophecies to be my greatest treasure. You want to build character? The word of God must be your greatest treasure. You can't build long-lasting character outside the word of God. So he says, I consider your prophecies to be my greatest treasure. And how do I build character? The word of God is my greatest treasure. And he says, I memorize them and write them on my heart to keep me from committing sin's treason against you. How do we build character? It is by the word of God. It is by studying, meditating, reading, confessing, and obeying the word of God. It is by submitting ourselves to the spirit of God, by being led by the spirit of God, that we build character. So number one was a failure of character. Number two was a failure to have a vision. Because you see, leaders must be visionary. They must have a vision and they must be able to share the vision with those that they are privileged to lead. So a husband is leading his home. He must have a vision for the home. The wife must understand the vision. The children must understand the vision. Uh, he must not just have a vision. He must share or communicate the vision. It's not, no different to any entity. In a church, there must be a clear visionary, and he shares the vision. Uh, in, a, in a community, the same thing. In a company, the same thing. Definitely in a nation. Nations are rudderless now, drifting, especially in the stormy seas of the last few months, simply because the leaders don't have vision. Pity a nation that has a leader that can communicate vision, can't excite people with the vision, can make people want to be a part of the vision. That's the challenge that a lot of the nations are facing, that we have leaders who are not visionary. You know, we just have leaders who simply don't have a vision for the nation. They aspired to an office for many reasons and don't have a vision for that office. What is a vision? It's just a picture of the future. I love the, the description of a vision that says it's a divinely inspired mental picture. And the Bible is very clear about what the failure to have a vision can do to a person and a nation. It says in Proverbs 29 verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Uh, the latter part says, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision. One translation says, where there is no revelation. Um, people haven't had God reveal something to them. A husband doesn't have revelation. The head of a team doesn't have revelation. Uh, the head of a nation has no revelation. I mean, look at the nations in Africa. They are, they are suffering because of leaders who don't have an idea, no vision, no revelation whatsoever. And that translation says, where there is no vision, the people cast off all restraint or cast off restraint. And isn't that what happened with, with, with Aaron? He 
didn't have a vision. Uh, Moses handed over to him. He had no vision for what God was doing with the nation of Israel. And what was the result of it? Well, the people said, give us a calf because there was no vision. He couldn't focus on a vision. He wasn't driving towards a vision. He didn't have a divinely inspired mental picture. He wasn't, he wasn't consumed by, by driving towards a goal. As a result, anything goes. The people cast off all restraint. You want a calf? Have a calf. You want to go left? Go left. You want to go right? Go right. Just simply because there is no vision. The Passion Translation says, where there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. Where there is no clear prophetic vision. It goes on to say, but when you follow the revelation of the words, heaven's bliss fills your soul. I love the message translation. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. The responsibility of leadership is that we share what God is doing. We tell people what God is doing. A lot of times, what God is doing might not be obvious. But then what do leaders do? We point to what God is doing. The leader in a home points to what God is doing. Uh, the mother of the children constantly telling the children, this is God, this is what God is doing. That's how we sow seeds into their lives and they start to revere and glorify God and they end up being disciples of God and worshiping God. We point to what God is doing. In a church, we are constantly saying, this is what the Lord is doing. We are saying in the nation, this is what the Lord is doing. It might not be obvious to everybody, but then that's what a leader does. And for the leader to do that, the leader has to be spending time with God to receive from God. Habakkuk says in that famous scripture, I will climb the rampart, which means I will, I will set myself aside. I will move away from the fray. I will step away from distractions. Uh, we have to turn off the world so that we can prepare as leaders to receive from God. Receive from God for your children. Receive from God for your family. Receive from God for your team. Receive from, from God for the group of friends who are looking up to you. Let's receive from, from God for our community. Let's receive from God for our church. Let's receive from God for our nation. Because where there is no revelation, the Bible says the people cast off all restraint. Obviously, Aaron had no revelation to give them, so the people brought their own revelation as to what they thought should happen. What a failure uh, in terms of vision. Number three, a failure of focus. Um, there was simply no focus. I love the acronym uh, for that word focus. Uh, follow, F, um, one, O, um, um, C, uh, cause, uh, U, until, uh, S, successful. So it would be follow one cause until successful. That's what focus is. Oh, for the man or woman who is focused. Oh, for the man or woman who sets their eyes like flint. Oh, for the man or woman who is so focused that they will go through obstacles over obstacles. They will persevere. They will overcome weariness, overcome discouragement, 
They will stay away from distractions because they are focused. Oh, for the man who is focused, for the father who is focused for his children, mother who is focused in terms of bringing up the children to fulfill God's plans and purposes. Oh, for the leader that is focused, that is driven. And the reason we celebrate certain things, including, for example, we celebrate the success of the, of the nation of Singapore, was because of a focused leader. Here was a barren nation that was just a little island that had nothing. But then a leader that was focused took that nation from the backwaters of the world to being in the first world, so advanced in terms of technology and advanced uh, uh, as, a, as a financial uh, uh, it, it, capital of, of the world, one of the major financial capitals of the world. It just takes focus. Um, the enemy knows that, so the enemy's stock in trade is distraction. What the enemy wants in your life is for there to be many abandoned buildings and projects when we look at the landscape of your life. I'm praying today that that will not be your portion. I'm praying that the Spirit of God, as you're watching and listening, will come upon you and that you will be able to focus, to, to focus, to follow that one cause until it is successful and move on to another cause. Um, the American president, Woodrow Wilson, says this. He says, absolute identity with one's cause is the first and great condition of successful leadership. Absolute identity with one's cause. Um, the problem with Aaron was that he wasn't focused. So when you're not focused, anything goes. Uh, Moses gave him this mantle of leadership. But he wasn't focused. He had no focus. So when the, when the people came and said, we want a golden calf, he said to them, well, bring your earrings and I'll give you a golden calf. Believe me, because he wasn't focused, if the people had asked for anything, he would have probably given them anything. The great evangelist Dwight L. Moody says this, give me a man who says this one thing I do, not these 50 I double in. Focus is what is needed for leadership to be successful. Number four, what does Aaron's story tell us? That he had a lack of courageous leadership. What is courage? Is that quality of mind that enables a person to encounter danger or difficulty without fear or discouragement? Now, it's not the absence of fear, because at some point, most of us will encounter fear but it is what we do with fear. And you know, I love the story of Moses. In fact, if anyone showed courage, Moses showed courage. And the encouragement with Moses is that he wasn't some superhuman being. We see moments of vulnerability. We see when he questions himself. I, I can't speak properly. And I love as a, as, a, as a sign of courage, a model of courage, I love how he dealt with the issue of the Red Sea. The children of Israel delivered out of bondage. They are embarking on this journey into God's promises. That were exactly what we're doing. They encounter the Red Sea. Now, you and I might think it was easy for Moses, but I, I dare say that Moses had no idea how God was going to take them across that Red Sea. He just knew that we're faced with an obstacle. In front of us is the Red Sea. Behind us is the, uh, the advancing murderous Egyptian army determined to get us back into slavery. 
So when he stands up to tell the people that they should calm down, they should believe God will, God will take them through, and he says to them with such confidence, the Egyptians you see, you shall see no more. I believe that he was speaking by faith. I believe that he was speaking knowing that what God has said he will surely bring to pass. That's what we have as Christians. Our courage is not taken from anyone or anything else. Our courage comes from God. A leader that is steeped in the Word of God uh, will get courage. Our courage comes from our fellowship with the Spirit of God. Uh, what the world lacks today is courageous leadership. And, 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 and Daniel puts it aptly in Daniel, the 11th chapter and the 32nd verse. He says in that scripture, he says uh, the latter part, they that know their God shall be strong and carry out or do great exploits. And that, that's really what it is about. How can I get courage? It's by knowing God. So I get courage the more I know God, the more God reveals his plans, the more I understand who I am in Christ, the more I, I come to understand who God is, the more courage I have to tackle difficult topics, difficult people, difficult tasks, or difficult issue, issues. And we must know that courageous leaders are not, are not afraid to show or to tell their vulnerability because in doing so, they point their attention to God. In our weakness, his strength is manifest. That's what courageous leadership is about. But Aaron had no courage whatsoever, it would seem. He wanted to please the people. He wanted to flow with popular opinion. And you know, the thing with courageous leadership is that there are times you will stand alone. There are times, frankly, it's just you and God. There are times that popular opinion, conventional wisdom, the way that people want it is not the way that God has told you to do it. There are times in leadership where to show courage, you really are going to be on your own. But if it is God, if you're certain it's the Spirit of God, and you step out, then God will honor your faith in Him. Now, Aaron just wanted to flow with popular opinion when they gathered and said, build us a calf. I'm, I'm sure you know it would have been difficult for Aaron to say, I'm not going to do that. that, that this is idolatry. That's not what God... He could have lost his life. They could have stoned him to death. But that's courageous leadership. When you stand upon it, sometimes there's a cost to it. Um, Nelson Mandela stood against apartheid, that wicked, evil regime in South Africa. It cost him 26 years of his life, 13 of them, I believe, in solitary confinement. And not in one of those 26 years did he change his position. What courageous leadership. How was he to know that eventually the system would fall in his lifetime? He didn't know that for certain. But then he had courage in his heart and he stood for it. And eventually he saw it happen and became the first president of a free South Africa. May God raise courageous leaders in the church, courageous leaders in the home, courageous leaders in our community. May God give us courageous representatives in parliament who are not afraid to stand against the flow of popular opinion. And may God give the nations courageous leaders. Number five, a fear of criticism. Now, the thing with leadership is that you will be criticized. You can't expect to lead even a group of two people without being criticized. At some point, 
criticism will come. What matters is our response to the criticism. That's what sets leaders who are going to make a difference apart from those who are not going to make a difference. I suspect one of the things that drove Aaron to follow popular opinion, even though in Aaron's heart he must have known that this is wrong. And it's interesting to see how Aaron tried to merge uh, the worship of an idol with God because he literally said, the Bible literally, he literally said that this calf is worshiping unto Jehovah. And you know, we try to do that where we, are, we know that to stand at a certain point is going to bring criticism. So we kind of try to fudge issues. And don't we see that all the time? You know, it's okay. You know, we can do it like that. Um, you know, we don't want to sound like a fanatic. Don't want to seem religious. Um, you know, it's a, we, that's not exactly what God meant. You know, be, I mean, God understands that times have changed. You know, where in the 21st century, you know, um, that's my application of the Word of God. You know, we just have to be accommodating. We have to understand that we have to preach um, a gospel that is appealing. And in doing this, we're watering down the gospel. We're watering down the gospel. We don't realize that we are not called to convince people. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He brings conviction. We are called to speak the word. Speak it with, with love, absolutely, because God is love. But we are not called to try to win arguments. You can't win certain arguments with certain people. I've met people who are more intelligent than me, know more of the Bible than me. An argument is going to be a waste of my time. They are not Christians, but they've spent years studying the Bible. I'm just trying my best to do what I can. And so an argument is an exercise in futility. So we just have to understand that we will get criticized if you are a leader. And we have to turn that criticism and use it to advance God's plans and God's purposes. Charles Spurgeon says this about criticism. He says, get a friend to tell you your faults, or better still, welcome an enemy who will watch you keenly and sting you savagely. What a blessing such an irritating critic will be to a wise man. So for a wise man, criticism works. Because sometimes the criticism is constructive in the sense that it is pointing out blind spots that you are not aware of. Um, and even if it is not, you can channel the criticism in a way that will propel you further. Criticism can serve as, as an, an incentive, greater impetus for you to continue in the assignment. You know, in his usual way, Winston Churchill had this to say about criticism. He says, criticism is like pain in the human body. It is not pleasant, but where would the body be without it? I genuinely believe that one of the things that made Aaron show that those flaws in leadership was that he just could not handle the criticism, the murmuring, the complaining that would come. And, and in real life, it is difficult sometimes where you are trying to forge ahead, trying to do something good, and people are criticizing. And you know, today it is open season for criticism, open season. You know, 
any Tom, Dick, and Harry, any clown or character can sit in their homes now. In those days, to publish things about people cost a lot of money. You needed to pay some newspaper, publish a book or something, um, get your article in the magazine. Do you know that today everybody is a journalist and, and half of them are failed journalists? You know, they, they, they have no right being given a platform, but everybody has a platform now. All you need to have a platform is a phone and you're out there spewing out stuff that is discrediting people, damaging reputations, um, destroying families, attacking the church, attacking the servants of, of God, ministers of the gospel, uh, anybody, any clown, any character, uh, any, anybody who just has a phone, everyone seems to have an opinion. And so if you are going to preach the gospel and you're not ready for criticism, then you have to get out of the kitchen because the kitchen is hot, and it's going to get hotter as we come to the end of the ages. So what do, we, what do you do? You have an audience in heaven. Your responsibility is to make sure that audience is pleased with you. Take your eyes off the audience on earth. Let the audience in heaven be pleased with you, and he will sort out the audience on the earth. If you focus on the audience of the earth, you're not going to go far in leadership. Um, so, yeah, we just have to be ready for criticism and not be afraid of it. Number six, a failure to accept responsibility. You see, what Aaron did was follow the flow of the blame game that was started by the fall of our first parents. After the sin in which the woman ate the fruit and gave it to the man to eat, um, a, a sign of their rebellious hearts, doing what God had, had asked them not to do, and in doing so, inviting Satan into our lives into the plan and into the scheme of things. And when God confronted them, rather than own up and accept responsibility, and you know that's a hallmark of great leadership, where you make a mistake, you accept responsibility. You know, ch children are encouraged when a father or mother says, you know what, I, I, I should have done that, I didn't do it right. It tells the children that there's authenticity in this home. And none of us is perfect. And when we make a mistake, especially when we are called out in terms of that mistake or whether mistake is obvious, you, you go a long way in winning people to follow your leadership where you can accept and, and, and accept responsibility for your actions or your words. But then what did our parents do? And I guess that's when the spirit got in of this blame game. Um, as when God confronted them, uh, what did Adam say? Adam says, it's the woman that you gave me. What was he saying? God, this is all your fault. Look at the kind of woman you gave me. And you know, that's what some men say about their wives. And I say to guys, I say, your wife is whatever you make her. She was given to you as raw material, potential. Your job is to cultivate her. 
Your job is to serve her, to tend her. Your job is to help her become who God wants her to become. Stop blaming other people. Jesus never, never called you and never blamed you for his own wife. He took his wife, you and I, messed up completely, completely trapped in sin, found you in a nightclub, found you in, in some, some, some messy situation, found you broken, found you dysfunctional, found you messed up. And what does the Bible say in Ephesians, the fifth chapter? This is Jesus' example of how he dealt with his wife. He says that he washed her with the word of God and presented her to himself unblemished. Guys, stop, stop expecting us to congratulate you that your wife has become who she is. That's your job. Jesus didn't need anybody. The Bible says he sorted her out himself by the word and then he presented her to himself. You know, I, I, I believe that God has helped me to do a decent job with my wife. And when I see what she's becoming, I don't need you to come and say well done to me. No, 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 no. In my heart, I thank God for the grace that you've given me to help her to become who she has become. You know, I say to married couples that, guys, if you marry a woman, five years after you marry her, her family should be thanking God for your life. And thanking God for your life, not because you beat her, not because you, you, you disrespected her, not because you treated her uh, less than you are, but thanking God for your life because you served her in a way that Jesus served his church as a servant leader. You put her needs before yours, you know. You thought about her. You, you made provision. I'm not just talking about material provision because, of course, men and women earn money. And some women earn more than, men, more, more, than, more than some men. But you made provision for her emotionally. You made provision for her spiritually. Uh, and as a result, you have done what God intended man to do when God put man in the garden and God said to man, tend it and cultivate it. So we must accept responsibility uh, for our, our actions and our failings. When they said to Moses, what have you done? Listen to what Moses said. This is the classic cop-out. In Exodus, the 32nd chapter and the 24th verse, he says, and I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. I mean, can you beat that? What is, what is Aaron saying? I didn't have any hand in this thing. They brought their gold. I just threw it into the fire, and lo and behold, from the fire, this calf appeared. Now, that is such a blatant lie, because the Bible says he used a, a, a tool, an engraving tool, and built the calf. But when faced with pressure, he buckled under pressure, he couldn't tell the truth, he couldn't accept responsibility, and he sells us this cock and bull story of having thrown things into a fire, and like magic, this calf comes out. And that's what happens when people keep blaming others. It's always some other person. Why don't we take a look at ourselves? Why don't we accept responsibility? And why don't we, even when some other person caused it, why don't we move on from that? We can't keep going back to the same thing. This is what was done to me. Yes, it was done to you, but move on. Time is passing. You're getting older. You keep revisiting the same issue. You've got to put it to bed. Like, like, like the Bible says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Some things are dead. If it's not dead, then bury it. Buried by the blood. Buried by the word. Buried by your confessions. 
actions, buried by your declarations, buried by your prayers, buried by asking others to pray for you. Don't let it shadow over, overshadow your life and truncate your future. It happened, it happened, yes, buried. And yes, we made some mistakes, but those mistakes shouldn't label you for the rest of your life. Accept responsibility, own up to it. Certainly own up to it with God because you can't deceive God. And when you own up to it with God, receive grace to put that to rest and to move on. Aaron failed to accept responsibility. And lastly, the seventh thing, and this is the most tragic. The cost of leadership failures. What was the cost to the children of Israel? 3,000 people dead and the Lord plaguing the nation just because of Aaron's irresponsible leadership. 3,000 people dead. That's a whole lot of people. And then a plague of the Lord. The Bible says in verse 35, so the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Aaron had tried to dock the responsibility, but God said to him, it is your fault. You made that calf. Accept the responsibility. And God is a forgiving God. Once we accept, we confess, we repent, then we, give, we are given a clean slate. But as, we, as long as we keep docking and diving, then we don't take advantage of what was won for us at the cross of Calvary. So the Bible says the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. It was really the leadership that, let, that encouraged the people into the sin that brought the plague. There's a cost to leadership failures. There's a cost when leaders fail in a home. The home suffers. The children grow up, you know, and they have to deal with issues that they have no right dealing with. You know, one of the most painful things for me at this point in time is the irresponsible leadership of parents. You end up harming a generation. You end up creating dysfunctions which, this, which the children don't have to, they don't need to have. They end up struggling in life because you have been irresponsible. An irresponsible father does not teach his daughter how to be loved by a man, affirmed by a man. Instead of speaking words of affirmation, his tongue has cut her down, has destroyed her, has wounded her. He's created an opening. Spirits of dejection and rejection come into her life. Whereas he should have been there as a responsible leader, responsible father, speaking affirmation, showing her in, the, in a human way what uh, uh, unconditional love is from a human perspective, preparing her heart to receive unconditional love from God. You know, when, I, when an irresponsible mother uh, models in the home uh, uh, a disrespect for her husband, the, it, it messes up the children's life. It creates problems for them. When a father and mother can't model what love is, it creates challenges for the children. That's just the reality of it. And yes, by God's grace, we pray they overcome it, but that's one obstacle that they didn't need in their lives. When we have irresponsible leaders, that look at the state of the nation. The nation of Nigeria, that, where, where, I, where I come from, is in the terrible state it is, completely broken down. The roof has caved in on that nation. A nation with, with so much resources in terms of material resources and human resources. And the one reason is the terrible, irresponsible leadership that has plagued that nation literally 
from when that nation got its independence. Irresponsible leadership, visionless leadership, leadership that is not focused, leadership that is selfish. In every sphere of government, the result is a nation that is very near collapsed state. And that is despite the resources that the nation has at its disposal. It is the cost of leadership failures, the cost of leadership failures in the church. Uh, the church is not what it should be because of leadership failures in the church. And, 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 and so there is a heavy cost of leadership failures in any organization. Lehman Brothers collapsed because of leadership failures. It's just any organization, there is a heavy cost of leadership failures. That's why we, we have a responsibility to raise godly leaders. I mean, America is as divided as it has ever been and heading towards the most toxic elections in the history of that nation. And what is the result? Leadership failures. And, and, and this is the challenge that the world faces. We are desperate for leaders to fill the vacuum that exists out there. And my prayer is that this word can challenge us so that we can, we can do our part in our homes, uh, in our offices, because if leadership is influence, every one of us is a leader. You don't have to do more than you're asked to do, more than you have, more than the sphere that you've been given, but influence that sphere. That's why the Bible says you are salt and you're light. We are change agents. As leaders, we are supposed to bring change. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. May we learn from Aaron's failures. And may we not be like Aaron's. My prayer is that we will be like Joshua. Uh, and, and we will look at Joshua along the lines as we continue on our journey. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you and we bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I hope you were blessed by that word. I hope it challenges you. I'd like to encourage you to do what the Berian Christians did. Go back and, and read, the word of, read the word of God. Take whatever I've said and, and, and study the word of God. But before I end, I would love to do something that is dear to my heart. I believe that the start of godly leadership is inviting Christ into your heart submitting your life to the Spirit of God. And so if there's anyone out there, you haven't done that. Uh, the challenge to becoming a, a godly leader uh, without Christ is it cannot be surmounted. It is impossible to scale the heights of that mountain. It is only the Spirit of God that can help us. And I agree, we're dealing with a lot of stuff. We're dealing with culture. We're dealing with mistakes made in the family. We're dealing with circumstances that have shaped us. Uh, some of these things try to put us in a straight jacket. But Christ will break every single one of those things to get you to be a godly leader, to fulfill God's plans and purposes. So if you're out there and you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a wonderful opportunity to do so. And how do you do so? Just open up your heart. It's as simple as that. The price has been paid. You don't have to pay any price. You just have to receive the gift of salvation. And if you would love to do so, will you say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus, the ultimate leader. Today, I want to invite him into my heart. Lord Jesus, 
I ask you to come and reside in my heart and my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I make a commitment to follow God, to turn away from anything that is displeasing to him, and to embrace fully everything that he says in his word. As I receive you, Jesus, I declare that I am now a child of God. I am received into God's family, and I thank you for it. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, that's it. You've invited him in. He has come in. Your journey starts. Um, we would love to help you on this journey, resource you, stand with you, encourage you. But most importantly, the Bible tells us that when you said that prayer and meant it, there's a celebration that's happening in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Next week, we'll find out some more uh, from uh, these circumstances around the worshiping of the golden calf. Uh, I look forward to it, and I, I pray you are looking forward to it too. Hallelujah. God bless you.